Let's open in prayer first before we move to this last session in the seminar for today. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you that we are learning your truth. Not that we didn't know it, but we're able to peel back some of the, the ways that we've looked at things. We're able to pull back some of the viewpoints and we're able to see your heart and we're able to get to the basics on the foundational truth of Jesus Christ. God, we're getting ready to go into a topic, and I'm really going to lean on you, Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust you for this topic. I'm going to trust you to talk about this, O oh Lord, that we're able to truly see your heart on things, O oh God. And, and I pray that you would have your way in our speaking, in our thinking, in our vision, in our hearing. God, please have your way. That's all I can ask you to do is to have your way and to help us to communicate this clearly and articulate your heart. Let it be pinpoint precision, O oh God. For those of us listening now and anybody who may listen uh, online or any other time in the future, God, I pray that we are willing to let our hearts be transparent and know that we can talk about anything with you because you are sovereign. Oh, Holy Spirit, have your way. God, lead and guide us. Through this session, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the reason I prayed that is in this session, and I waited until the end, Pastor Mona was asking why we didn't start with that, because if I started with this particular discussion, it would be heated, it would be charged, you would be looking through a filter that you already have. So if you were here last night and you know what we're standing for, and you were here this morning and you heard what is truth, and then you understood how stages of life and the generations that we live in, if you're able to see the differences and appreciate them, looking through that kind of cleaned off filter. It's like when you're driving and get bugs on the car and you pull over to the gas station and you think you can see through the window. There's just little bugs here and there. But when you wipe that window clean, all of a sudden you're, what is this, a brand new windshield? What happened? This looks amazing. This looks great. Sometimes that happens in our life, and many times the topics that are the hottest hot-button topics, we are looking through a certain filter that's a bit cloudy, and it's cloudy for a few reasons, and it's cloudy for a few different uh, levels, and, and it's just all around cloudy, and we have to let the Holy Spirit just wipe that clean so that we can see it through Him. And we talked about some of the things, so I'm going to reiterate some of those things and enter... Uh, they're going to be interwoven into tonight. So I want you to get out a notebook or to this afternoon, get out a notebook and your Bible, but I want your good ear to hear uh, kind of what we're going to talk about. And I'm using a red pen because we're going to do a discussion on hot topics. Right? A discussion on hot topics. As Christians, we should be able to discuss any topic. Any topic. There is nothing that should be off the table. There is nothing that we should not be able to talk about, ask questions, inquire, and have a discussion about. We hold the keys to truth and should stand for it. That includes talking about them in love, write that word, in love to anyone. Very important that we grasp that part. We hold the keys to truth and should stand for it. And that includes talking about them in love 
to anyone. However, certain topics cause emotional responses that really test the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Is it deep down in us, this fruit of the Spirit? Or have we allowed other points of view to creep in and jade us? Our response should be biblical first. Biblical. Not based on our experiences, which people will always use as the basis of their viewpoint. And as we have read, as we talked about earlier, that's wrong. Our experience is not the basis of our viewpoint. I know you've experienced things in life, and I appreciate that. But that is not how you are to view these topics through your experience. And we all have that general nature to say, well, when I was this young or when I went through, we love to talk about our experiences as if it's the gold standard of how things are supposed to happen or how we're supposed to look at it or how we're supposed to deal with it. But we cannot, our response should be biblical first, not based on our experiences nor our influence from society and culture. And we're going to dive into some of that. And some of us are going to see, many of us, how much society and culture actually influences you on these hot topics. We say, oh, no, no, not me, not me. I read the Bible. No, 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 that doesn't, that does not influence me one bit. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. And when we are talking about these hot topics, that's the reason that we get emotionally charged because our viewpoint has been biased on something other than the Bible. I want us to turn to Isaiah 5, verses 18 to 21. Now, we're going to talk about hot topics, and you best bet you're going to have a lot of Scripture to write down because I don't want to be up here and let my viewpoint tell you. I don't want my opinion or alternate facts or tradition to get in the way. We're going to go to the Bible for these things, okay? Isaiah 5, 18 to 21. What sorrow for those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies, who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. They even mock God and say, hurry up and do something. We want to see what you can do. Let the Holy One of Israel carry out his plan, for we want to know what it is. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. I want you to turn to a second scripture, Judges. Judges 17, verses 6. Then we're going to move down to 21 to 25. Judges 17, 6. And actually, Judges 21, 25, they say the exact same thing. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. You'd almost feel like we're talking about today, right? People do whatever they think is right. We talked about people say, well, that's not my truth. That's, not, that's your truth. That's not my truth. Because they think they're doing what's right. And they drag that along. And Isaiah reminds us that we can't say evil is good and good is evil. And we can't say right is wrong and wrong is right. Bitter is sweet, sweet is bitter. Because the Bible talks about it and it says it's different. Now I'm going to write some things down on the board. Don't write them down. 
Don't write them down. I just want you to be able to see them. And these are some of the hot topics that are really hot today. But I want you to look at them. And I want you, yes, ma'am. Okay. We'll do blue. We'll go back to blue. We'll just do the top in red. We'll go back to blue. Okay. I'm going to write some of these down. And I want you just to, just to look at it and think. Maybe what your own opinion is on it. Abortion. LGBTQ slash same-sex attraction. Slash gender identity. Or equality. Immigration. Suicide. Politics. Religious tolerance. Entertainment. Including music. Social media. Weed. Drugs and smoking. Money, alcohol, and drinking, divorce and remarriage, women leaders in the church. Taxes and tithing. Gambling and the lottery. Sex. Pornography, other perversions, gossip and slander, addiction, idolatry.
the Bible says, others like these. Every one of these hot topics we should be able to talk about in the church. We shouldn't be able to shy, we shouldn't have to shy away from them. But when we talk about them, we have to be able to talk about them in truth, according to the biblical principles. And not your opinionated business, uh, biblical principles. But real biblical principles, not your nationalistic thought or your political leaning thought or the thought based on your generational ideas or your gender or the thought based on your friends or family or the thought based on your experience or the thought based on anything else other than the real truth. Because in today's society, the globe over, every one of these People want to talk about. TV shows talk about them. They sell magazines and newspapers. They sell movies. You watch them on documentaries on Netflix. And you get charged up about it. Very charged up. And the next thing you know, you have divisions in the church. To be honest, in America, we're going into a political year in 2020. And oh, I am not looking forward to it at all. Because I've seen the division that boils down into the church. And the politician or the party or the, the, the platform that they feel they should be standing for as a Christian. Folks, there wasn't even democracy in the Bible. So you're charting some new territory. Can I just be honest? God has it set up as he's the king and then he moves down. And when the children of Israel didn't like that, that's where they had no king. Meaning they were lacking understanding what God, so they did everything that's right in their own eyes. Now, mind you, I'm not coming against democracy. But I'm saying when we look at the fundamental things, a lot of the things that we're having to deal with, they rose their head in other places. Abortion, this isn't the first time in history that people have killed children. For goodness sakes, in the Old Testament, they were sacrificing their children to gods. The children of Israel, these are people who were calling on the God that you and I serve, they were sacrificing their children. This isn't the first time that we've dealt with same-sex attraction. This isn't new. This has been going on through history. For goodness sakes, we read in the, the Old Testament. When God destroyed the earth in the flood, all of these things, in one way, shape, or form, they were happening. None of it's new. None of it's new. They've dealt with immigration. In the Old Testament, they talk about how to deal with foreigners in the land. They dealt with suicide. People would kill themselves, throw themselves down. Saul killed himself. They dealt with politics. They may not have had democracies, but they dealt with it. They had kings. They had things. I mean, for goodness sakes, they would rise up and kill each other if they didn't like it. There was no, you think... Our civil discourse is bad. How would you like somebody just to roll up and just say, well, I don't like you and kill you? Today, we would call him a despot, a dictator. That's not how you deal with your political opponents. Well, that's how they dealt with them in the Bible. Religious tolerance. This has been, the, this, is, this is an issue they always had. 
They talk about this. As a matter of fact, they were dealing with this in the New Testament. Politics, they were dealing New Testament. By the time New Testament came along, they did have a form of democracy in Rome, even though they had an emperor. Entertainment and music. They didn't have social media, but they had their own version of social media. Maybe they were chiseling it on a rock. I don't know. Insta-rock. That's what they had. Right? But they were dealing with this entertainment and the way they did things. Matter of fact, when we read about the New Testament, when Herod came out and, and they were all drunk and entertainment and Herodias, uh, his daughter came out, John the Baptist lost his head in that entertainment because he got a little too into it. said, you pleasured me so much in the way you entertained. You can have everything up to half my kingdom. No, all I want is a man of God's head on a platter. Weed, drugs, and smoking, they were turning to all of these different vices in the Bible. They were turning to stuff. Don't think we're the first ones that found out how to smoke a plant. Come on now. They were turning to vices. These are just vices. Money. I don't even have to dive too far into that one. That's been an issue that people have, it's greed. All that, what that is. Greed. It brings Powerful men and women down all the time. Always has. Alcohol and drinking, that's throughout the Bible. When people take to this, again, same thing as smoking and drinking, this just becomes a vice. It becomes something they do. Divorce and remarriage, for goodness sakes. They were going through this in Moses' days. As a matter of fact, he had to address it. That's what Jesus was addressing in the New Testament. And we've taken his words out of context many times. They were going through this. I didn't like that chicken you cooked. You didn't season it. Get out. I'm divorcing you. Irreconcilable differences, that fancy little word of basically saying we can't get along anymore. They've been dealing with it for years. Women leaders in the church, my goodness. They dealt with that. Very funny when you look into it and you read that in the proper context and you see how God views women and how he puts them in places of leadership. Let's not forget, in the Old Testament, Deborah was a judge. A judge. She was in charge of the spiritual and practical leadership of the country of Israel. They did what she said. They went to her. The prophet Holden, the Old Testament. So you think by the New Testament, God all of a sudden forgot or changed his mind? I doubt we're reading the scriptures right. Taxes and tithing. We complain about taxes. Do you know when Paul wrote and told them, pay your taxes, they were paying 70 to 80% of their taxes. And we're complaining. In America, it's 35. I don't know what we have here in Canada. But we're complaining or tithing. This church looks too nice. Look at this new whiteboard. They don't need my money. I saw them new shoes that Pastor Mona had on. I'm not giving a dime. Mm-hmm. They had, they had encrusted jewels on them. Right? People do that. They look. They come into Times Square Church and they think, look how beautiful this is, but you don't need my money. We just judge and we don't think. Yes, it takes your money. And I'm not here to talk about going to the, but it takes your money to further the kingdom. 
What if you did that at your own home? Because we're a family, right? I always remind young people of this. There's no offense, young people, but we're the worst at tithing. Those that have been walking with the Lord for any lengthy period of time are the ones probably still keeping the church afloat because they, they understand the principle of giving back to God and giving into his house. And trust me, if Pastor Mona's going wrong with the money or anybody else, she's got to answer to God for that. And if you know for a fact that something's going on, then it's your money. Go tithe, Go tithe somewhere else. But if you see the fruit and the presence of God coming out of a place, then tithe. But why does she have to live like a pulper? That's not biblical. That's our mindset. Why does God's house have to fall apart? He addressed that all the time. Give back in. In the Old Testament, they, they gave everything. They gave so much gold. They said, hey, stop giving so much gold. Now, mind you, I'm not trying to talk about prosperity. There are people who only want your money. They're not here for your soul. They're here for your money. That's not God. And Paul and Peter both addressed those people. By the New Testament, they had switched. They had realized hey, this could be a lucrative gig. We'll just get up, tell them God's telling them something, tell them to make sure they give us money, and then we get to live high on the hog. That's not what God wanted. So make sure you're giving to a house. But if the house needs some lights, the house needs a, to give to a family in need, we, pull our, we, we do the book of Acts. We pull our resources together. Gambling and lottery. Proverbs talks about this. Get-rich-quick schemes don't work. They never do because you'll get the money and you'll be foolish enough to lose it as quick as you got it. God says, I am your provider. I will provide for you, not the state lottery and not casinos. Sex. God made us sexual beings. If sex wasn't pleasurable, we wouldn't procreate. There'd be nobody here. <laughs> nobody would be here. Right? It's like when your mom tells you to eat your vegetables. You don't eat them until you realize how good they are for you. But if vegetables taste like cotton candy, I'm telling you, we'd be the healthiest people alive. We should be able to talk about that because this generation needs to hear it. And older folks who have made mistakes in, in these areas, especially in this area, you need to be pouring into young people because if you don't, they'll find it out online. And they'll find it out wrong. Same goes with pornography and perversion. All of us have some kind of nasty perversion. It comes into your mind. God knows we've seen enough movies and TV shows and read enough things that this stuff gets sickening put in our mind, and God has to cleanse it out. But if we're not able to talk about a young person who's struggling and thinking, oh, I can't talk about that, then they're going to find it, and at some point they're going to act on it. How much should we be able to talk about this to young people? And to older people who are still struggling with it. Gossip and slandering. The Bible hits on this so much. You think some of these other vices pro cause problems? This is a silent killer right here. A silent killer. And don't tell me, if they were standing here, I would say it to their face. But let me go and tell you about Pastor Mona. The other night, that's gossiping. Because you shouldn't say it even if she was standing there. And you know darn good and well you just lied in on top of gossiping. Because if she was standing there, you would probably filter your words just a little bit more. Gossiping and slander is a silent killer. Addiction and idolatry. This is where most of the vices, the alcohol, the drinking, the drugs, and the weed, the cursing and stuff, this comes because you're addicted to it. That word addiction is just a modern term for idolatry. An idol is anything in your life 
that has taken a little bit of a foothold, just a little bit, it could have taken a lot, but even if it's a little bit of a foothold and you can't get rid of it on your own, that's an addiction. It could be shopping, it could be eating, it could be any of these other vices, anything. Addiction and idolatry. And the Bible reminds us when it gives us the list, others like these. This isn't an exhaustive list. But these hot topics are what's on everybody's mind. It consumes us and it has for years. But the truth has to be spoken in love on all of these topics. And if it's not coming from you and I as a believer in Jesus Christ, then people will get their answers from somewhere else. So let's dive in and let's talk about this for a little bit. Can we do that? Now, don't, the reason I want you to write this down, if you did, that's okay, is because I don't want us to worry about the behavioral issues. I want us to dig into the roots. Can we do that? Now I want you to get your pencil and paper out because we're going to dig into some of the roots of these. And hopefully, by the end of this, we're going to be able to see these a little differently. And maybe you were stuck on a certain viewpoint with any of those. And God wants to change that. Because if your viewpoint is wrong, then you're speaking. And the way that you carry and the way that you talk about these is going to be wrong. The first thing we're going to talk about are the reasons for failure. You're thinking, what is that? The reason these discussions fail. Another way of putting that is the reason you can't have them properly. Number one, a misunderstanding of Scripture. The number one reason that we fail in talking about, in having a right discussion on hot topics is a misunderstanding of Scripture. It's the number one reason for disunity amongst Christians. And guess what? The world sees it. We get into arguments over scriptures on certain things and the world sees it and says they can't even figure out the truth for themselves. So what in the world am I going to listen to them for? Don't air your differences on little nuances. Stop airing our disunity in public. Stop airing it on social media. Because as we talked about it today, folks, the most important thing as Christians is we have to understand the basics of Christianity. And we talked about that. That's Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm all over the board with these spellings today. Death, burial, and resurrection. Pastor Carter put it one time. He said, are we across the bloodline? Do we have the basics covered? Then let's agree on those and start moving forward. I don't want to know, do they speak in tongues? I don't want to know if they understand this little doctrinal nuance or that do doctrinal nuance. I want to know, do you understand this? And that's not me being 
a wimpy Christian. That's not me not willing to go into it. If we can understand the basics, then let's walk together on a united front. Marriages have differences. She washes the dishes this way, you wash them that way. She washes the clothes this way, you turn all the clothes pink that way. But do you go out and air all your dirty laundry for the world to see? No, you deal with them. You walk together as a united front because we understand that marriage is give and take. We understand that marriage is based on love. We understand that marriage is 110% from both sides. We understand the basics. And that's what we walk in. We have to understand the basics of our Christian foundation. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is sin? Who is the Holy Spirit? Let's worry about those forgiveness at the cross. Let's, let's keep it to the basics and not get on our doctrinal differences. Because when we get on those and we start arguing and we start posting videos and we start coming against people, guess what? The world sees it as nothing but a big old division and they don't want anything of it. Because they see division everywhere else in politics. They see division in this. They see division in that. And they say, well, if they're just as divided as you, I don't want anything to do with you either. Now, is that representing Christ? Now, we're going to stand in truth. Don't get me wrong. And that's going to be dividing because that person has what we talked about earlier, choice. And if they choose not to believe the basics, then guess what? We're on opposite ends of the aisle. But even then, I'm not going to come at you. When your heart is open to hear, we'll have a discussion. But if we don't agree on the basics, then you know what? God bless you along your way. And I hope you open your heart to him at some point. That's all I need to say. Why do I need to get into an argument? Why do I need to get emotionally charged? Why do I need to yell at you and, and get visceral on social media towards you? We already don't agree on the basics. We're on opposite ends. So I'm going to keep walking and I'm going to fight the battle over your soul in my prayer closet. I'm not going to fight it out with you. Misunderstanding of scripture. The only way to overcome it is to get in the word every day. This is not a daily scripture. Do not tell me, oh, I'm in my word every single day. My daily verse pops up on my um, phone. I get a little email and notification. That's not being in your word. A daily scripture that someone else, a computer, has generated for you so that you can read it going out the door and say, oh, I'm so full of the word this morning because I read this scripture. The Lord is my spirit and takes care of me. Oh, that's just, oh, Ooh, I just had to think about it for the next 23 hours. What? That's not getting into the word. Not at all. That's wonderful if you get them. I'm, that's great if it's, it's something that encourages you and something that pops up on your phone. But if that's your idea of getting into the word, you are gravely mistaken. And you will always have a misunderstanding of scripture. Besides, those daily devotionals almost always are on the positive. You ever notice that? God helps you. God loves you. God says, and you're thinking, wow, God, he's just, God is just so great. You forgot the other ones that correct, rebuke, da, 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 da. We need the scripture because it needs to read us. It needs to be that mirror. You know when you get up in the morning and look in the mirror, when you first get up, you look busted. Don't act like you don't. My hair is not this good looking that early in the morning. My teeth are not this white. My breath surely does not smell this good. My clothes are not this pressed. But if I look in the mirror now, of course, I look put together. Everything looks wonderful. Why? Because I took some work. I dug in. I cleaned these teeth. 
I combed this hair. I washed this face. I ironed these clothes. Same with the scripture. That little daily scripture ain't going to do nothing for you. In the mirror, you look jacked up. This scripture will begin to read you. That word will begin to show you. Let's put some work into it. Ooh, this is a funky little area. Let's clean this up. That's what the Bible does. And if you have a misunderstanding of scripture, you're not going to be able to talk about any of these topics. You don't even know what you believe. You have to dig in and you have to pray for the Holy Spirit to enlighten you. Don't settle for what you've been taught. Know it for yourself. If all you do is listen to what preaching comes out of this pulpit and what you hear online, you are getting leftovers. Let me ask you a question. If I gave you two options, I said, in option one, I have prepared for you a wonderful filet mignon. It is so good. It is seasoned to perfection. It's the right temperature, just the way you like it. And you can have it. Or option two, I ate your filet mignon and I left a little bit of my chewed up pieces on the plate. It was very good. But would you like to eat that instead? Which option would you go for? How many would go for option one? Their own filet mignon. Raise your hand high. This is interactive. Anybody want my chewed up pieces? Leftovers? Anybody? No. When you're not in the word, that's all you're eating are the leftovers. You're, you're, you're getting Pastor Glenn and Pastor Mona or me teaching. You're getting our leftovers. We're eating the filet mignon and you're saying, hey, I'll eat your leftovers. But guess what? We could eat together. You could have option three that says you get your filet mignon. I get my filet mignon. And then we can try each other's filet mignon. Ooh, take a little piece of mine. It's, mine's a little more than medium. Oh, take mine. My, mine's seasoned with a little bit of jerk seasoning. Now, doesn't that sound like a better option? So when you're in your word, when you come in and you sit down and you hear somebody teaching or preaching, or you're just talking on the phone, or, or we're having some egg sandwiches, and I'm going to have blueberry pie later or whatever, and you're talking about it, you're sharing what you're eating. You're not begging for crumbs. So dig in. Let's go to Hebrews 4.12. Get ready. We're going to hit some scriptures as we go through these points. I'm going to keep it to one. This one I'm going to have two, but I want you to get these down. Hebrews 4.12. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Let's read verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. You want to talk about some hot topics, you better have an understanding of his word. Because when you think about a topic a certain way, and God's word says it different, Guess who needs to win that disagreement? His word. Because if you go with your opinion, you could, in a, you could inadvertently lead somebody astray. You could inadvertently misrepresent God. Talk to Moses about what happens when you misrepresent God. You lose out on the promise. 1 John 1, 4. 
First John, oh, excuse me, First John 4, 1. I said it backwards. First John 4, 1. First John 4, 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God, for there are many false prophets in the world. Don't just believe everything I tell you up here. I'm giving you all these scriptures. I'm having you write this down, not so you can go home and say, oh, I wrote it down. Or for some of you have a good memory, and that's fine too. You go and dig in the Bible. Hey, let me make sure Michael was right. Let me look this up. Mm-hmm. Okay, that point was off. That point was okay. Right? How are you going to know that? When a pastor gets behind a pulpit or you listen to a Bible study or you read a Bible plan, you better make sure. Go back, see. Make sure their point is on, on point. Because we're, we're prone to error. We're prone to misunderstanding. We're prone to seeing something a certain way. God help us, but we're prone to that. And you can't turn to us and say, well, that's what Michael said. I don't care what Michael said. I care what the word of God says. Michael can get up here and tell you, you better vote for this person for X, Y, and Z. But what does God say? Michael can say that on this hot topic, I feel that this and this and this. What does God's word say? Because if God's word is not the overriding factor, then you're going to make a mistake. You're going to inadvertently or you're going to mistakenly talk about this from the wrong perspective. That's the first reason that these discussions fail. The second one is experience. The second reason that discussions fail is experience. What do I mean by that? You have a family member, a friend, a colleague, or yourself that has experienced one or more of these things, and your feelings or emotions are charged on the subject. Therefore, it is hard for you to be objective. Spiritual maturity and growth is the only way to counterbalance experience, causing us to err on the side of God. Experience will cause us to fail. Because as I said in, in opening this up, you will let your experience, either your own or with someone else, become to shape your viewpoint on this topic. Oh no, I have a friend who, or well, when about 20 years ago, I. Whenever we start talking in that manner, in how we discuss hot topics, it becomes dangerous. Our experience better say, you know what? The Bible says this. And I've learned because of this. I too did that 20 years ago and I realized that was wrong because the Bible says this. Or I too am learning that how I handle this. Or I too am looking at it. Or I too am, am, am realizing that that's not correct because the Bible says this. Our experience cannot be the overriding standard that we use when talking about hot topics. Because guess what? Your experience could be flawed. Your experience could be rooted. Your experience, and I say this in all love, parents, you will allow certain things that you know aren't scriptural because your kid is dealing with it. We don't twist the scripture because we have the hope 
for our child. And so we, we kind of bend the rules a little bit, just a little bit to accommodate for their life, just a little bit to accommodate for that. All of a sudden, God is really, really, really graceful. Like, whoa, you know, I mean, he's so graceful, he even allows my sinful child to get away with that because we don't want to be harsh. Or my parent or my spouse. Or because we really like this friend, he's so cool, I love hanging out with him. Oh, he just does this thing. But you know what? God is gracious. God loves him. And, you know, he has to work out his own salvation with fear and trembling. You see how all of a sudden our experience will begin to, to taint that. I mean, he has a good point. Weed is grown from the ground. And God told Adam to till the ground. So, I mean, you know, besides, it's legal now. And God says, obey the laws of the land. My friend's just obeying the laws of the land. See how we start twisting the Bible to accommodate for his vice, his addiction. Well, the Bible doesn't say, you know, weed's going to send him to hell. Where does it say in the Bible that thou shalt not smoke weed? Somebody tell me. But the Bible does say, don't put anything before me. So maybe what we need to do is say, hey, man, why are you smoking so much weed? I, that's not good for you. Because I, I also don't have to come to him and say, oh, God, you're going to hell. Put that joint down. That's it. I can't talk to you anymore. Michael told me last Saturday, don't talk to you. Don't associate with you. That's not what I said. Find out. Man, why are you smoking so much weed? That's not good for you. I, I think you're, you're addicted to that. Not addicted. Really? We got to be able to talk about it. Second Peter 1, 3 through 8. Second Peter 1, 3 through 8. Now we could be here all afternoon on this scripture. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Full stop. That scripture alone could be preached on. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. The basics. Coming to know him, Jesus Christ. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. Oh, what are the great and precious promises Jesus gives us? Eternal life, the Holy Spirit to see us through. He provides, he's faithful, he's a deliverer. All those things we charismatic Christians love to jump and shout about, those are great and marvelous promises coming from Jesus Christ himself. The truth, it comes from the truth of Jesus Christ. And he's given us everything we need. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us these great promise, great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Right? To share in his divine nature. We get to share in, in what Christ did. We get to share in this. And we also get to share it with others. And escape 
the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Respond to God's promises. That's an action that you and I have to do. We can't just sit back and be like, well, God does it all. God will take care of it. God knows. Oh, Jesus. Woo, he's got it. I'm just going to go sit down and watch Netflix. Trust the Lord. No, you have an action. Make every effort to respond. Respond is an action word. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone. Do you see how it just builds and builds and builds? And when you have his truth and an understanding of his scripture and experience isn't overriding him, you now can talk about this because it's permeating your life. And my experience now isn't the one that I'm able to talk about. It's the Bible and how that is becoming my experience. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. You want to be blind, short-sighted? Forget all that God's done for you. Don't live in a manner. Let your experience of the past guide you. Instead of as a Christian, your experience of the present. We don't live in the past, folks. We live in the present with a hope for the future. We do not live in the past. We live in a present and we have a hope for the future. His name is Jesus. The third reason that these fail, shame. This is the silent killer in every person. As we've discussed, people inherently know right from wrong. And when they do wrong, nobody has to explain the shame that comes with it. Adam and Eve immediately felt it. Neither God nor Satan had to explain shame to them. It was immediate. Shame is the overwhelming thing that consumes your body after sin. Only trust in the work that Jesus did on the cross will remove it. And that comes when we fully understand his love. Yet non-Christians and many Christians suffer from shame. How important for us to discuss it and share in his love. Some of you may be dealing with shame even now of some of the things you've done in your past. Jesus can heal you from that. Some of you have experienced those things I wrote on the board, so you feel like, I can't talk about it. What are people going to think? It's going to expose me. There's so much shame involved in it. There's shame that I got an abortion. There's shame that I've been addicted to some of these things. There's shame that I've struggled with same-sex attraction. There's shame that I have engaged in greed and gossip. There's shame that I look at politics and entertainment and immigration in a certain platform or certain way. There's shame in all of those things because of 
some underlying issues or some struggles that I have. Isaiah 54, 4 through 8. Isaiah 54, 4 through 8 says, Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of widowhood. For your creator will be your husband. This is the prophet Isaiah talking to the children of Israel because they were living in shame for their idolatrous ways and how they turned against God. And we can use this for today. Imagine he's saying this about you. For your creator will be your husband. This isn't just to ladies. He's saying your creator will will be the one that loves you and cares for you. Your creator will be the one that you're drawn to. You will have an intimate relationship with your creator. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says your God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you. But with great compassion, I will take you back. In a burst of anger, I turned my face away for a little while. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Shame, and if you stay in it, there is shame that comes from sin. That's understandable. Because you've sinned. You've sinned against yourself. You've sinned against another person. And ultimately, you've sinned against God. Yes, shame comes from that. And it can only be covered by Christ. Because what happens is when we repent of the things that we've done, he covers that shame and he says, now let's walk in the right way. Let's walk in the way that we move forward. Don't sit and waller in shame. Remember when when God came into the cool of the day and he asked Adam, Where are you? And he says, we're hiding. Why? I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? Well, you know, God knew. And do you know what God did? He didn't say, well, good, stay there. You deserve it. I told you not to eat from that tree. Then you just stay right behind that bush. Now you know you're naked. Look at you. Hot mess. Get out of here. No, do you know what he did? He immediately atoned for it and killed an animal. The penance was paid. And he took and he made them skins. Now that's designer clothes, folks. If God makes it, I'm sorry for the PETA people who don't like that. He made them some leather duds, designer duds that were probably phenomenal. Right? He crafted clothes for them. That's how amazing the God is that we serve. He will not let you stay in shame. Don't let that silent killer kill you any longer. You move past that. If you have struggled from that, you move past it. Talk to somebody about it. Talk to your pastors. Talk to a friend. Talk about it. Don't let it live in that silent area where the devil can say, who are you to talk about this topic? You don't know who you're going to meet in the store, the grocery store. You don't know who you're going to meet coming in here. Older person who's dealt with it. You don't know what younger person is dealing with it. And you're going to be able to say, I too have dealt with that. You have? Sometimes as Christians, we put on this nice thing and say, I am a believer in Jesus. I go through nothing. I see nothing and hear nothing. And people say, I can't come to church. They're not going to, they're, they're going to judge me. They're going to, they're going to call. They're going to say, all kind, I just, I can't, I can't do it. 
God's angry at me and the, his Christians are. I see them on TV. I see the videos they post. I see the signs that they're picketing with. I'm just going to hell. I sure am not going to go talk to them. Do you know what? I'm going to drink more. I'm going to smoke more. I'm just going to go and be more promiscuous. I'm just going to just drown it in social media and, and other things. And I'm going to hide behind. I'm going to create this life I wish I had when really I'm just struggling with shame. I'm going to give in to the, to the pleasures that look good when I know they're not even natural. But I'm just going to give in anyway because you know what? If I just give in, it'll override the shame. But how much as Christians, if we're going to impact this culture and this society, should we be able to say, you know, I've struggled with that too. You have? Yeah. Well, how did you get through it? Because I'm just, man, I'm hitting the bottle. I'm just giving in. Yeah, I understand I did that too. But you know, there came a point, met somebody. You did? Who? Jesus. See how easy it is to go right back to the basics? Simple. Oh, you got that religious stuff. No, this ain't religion. I did find him in jail 20 years ago, but then when I left jail, I left him there. You ever notice people who find Jesus in jail? I had a relative like that. I, for him, Jesus was only in jail. That was it. Sometimes I wish he'd go back to jail to find Jesus. <laughs> like, oh, Lord, send him back to jail because that must be the only place you are. Number four, fear. Fear is the reason this fails. This is the crippling agent of freedom, fear. Like a person in a prison with the door open, but they can't walk out because they don't know what will happen if they do. Or a puppy in a cage and the door's open and the puppy won't leave the cage because they don't know what's on the other side. People will not discuss things that they don't understand or can't comprehend or when they feel their skill set isn't up to par. Worse yet, people who have dealt with these topics don't know how others will receive them if they share. So they walk in fear. It cripples them. It cripples their freedom. I can't. I can't. Proverbs talk about the person who says, I can't go outside. There might be a lion. They're going to attack me and eat me. I can't go out there. You crazy Canadians might run me over. I can't. I can't go into that church. They're too judgmental. I can't call this person up. They're going to curse me out. They might, but you don't know unless you call. 1 John 4.18. We have to seek healing from the Lord, folks. 1 John 4.18 says, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. We walk in fear because we don't understand the love of Jesus. When you understand the love of Jesus... You don't walk in fear because it has no hold on you. It won't cripple you anymore. Healing bandages that up. And healing isn't just a bandage where it, it keeps it bandaged and you take it off and nothing happens. It's a complete healing. It, it's like God cares for it. He bandages it up. 
Listen, if I break my leg, I go to the hospital, the nurses they, and doctors, and they bandage it up, and they fix it. And then over time, God who created this body, it begins to heal. And sometimes they put pins in it to help. They do what they can to heal it. Why? So that you can use your leg strong as you did before. That, that, that idea, that principle, that comes from Christ himself. I'm going to heal you. In the Old Testament, they called him the balm of Gilead because just like you use a balm or an ointment, we call it today, or a cream to fix something. Now, you can't fix wrinkles, ladies, just so you know. But if you, you use that balm, thinking it's going to fix something, they used it. They illustrated that and said he's the balm of Gilead because it was known in those days. Now, don't go looking for it. And next thing you know, you're on Amazon searching balm of Gilead. Back in those days, that balm of Gilead seemed to be the ointment that healed things. And that's what they referred to Jesus as. I have four more points of one, two, three, four, five. Excuse me, five more points. I'm going to erase these, okay? Well, I, gotta, I need more space. Number five on my list. Hatred. One of the reasons. Hatred. This emotion is rooted in the unknown. It stems from unbelief. Basically, the person has an issue with God and they are unleashing it on his physical creation. Most times the issue is simple. They had or have an expectation on God that he did not meet or is not meeting, most likely it's of their own concoction. And so they hate. They hate. It's an unknown. And when we don't know, we hate. And we can see that throughout all of history. Many things stemmed in, haste, uh, in, in hatred, racism, and, and the, the ilk. It's all stemmed in the unknown. In that case, you're looking at somebody who's a different color of your skin. God in all his wisdom, God in all his creativity, God in his artistic beauty created people with different skin tones and because they don't look like you, you hate the unknown. Because you don't want to accept that God is a creative God. And he said, oh, I want you to be a little lighter and I want you to have this tone and I want you to be a little lighter and a little darker and, and I want you to have this kind of hair and I want you to be this height and I want you to be this size and I want, you to, I want you to be this way because, oh, I want all this beautiful creation. Look at the flowers. There's so many different types of flowers, but guess what? The dandelion doesn't look at the rose and say, ugh, you're less than me. Look at you. I'm stately. I'm poised. It's just kind of big and floppy all over the place. And you cause allergies. I'm giving out of love. You're just kind of thrown in there. Right? The flowers don't do that. Why should we? Proverbs 19.3 says, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. Hatred is misplaced because you know what? The reality is, if you're hating someone based on that, and I, this whole point isn't about racism. Hatred comes in so many different ways. It can be nationalistic. You hate someone because they're American, or I would hate you because you're Canadian or whatever. 
you, you, you feel in this hate, whatever it is, nationalistic, race, gender, age, you just, it moves on and on and on. And then it goes into the trivial of sports and politics and hatred comes in because of the unknown. More than anything, you're just mad at God. Hatred is coming because you're mad at God. You have formed a, an opinion. You have formed something in your own mind. And because what you're looking at or, or, or what this opposite thing is believing that's different from yours, you're upset because you expect all of us to look the same. If everybody would just be as friendly as I am, if everybody would just look the way I look, if everybody would just just clean the way that I clean, if everybody would just drive the way I drive, if everybody would learn the way I learn, if everybody in the world would just be like me, oh, it would be amazing. This would be the greatest planet ever, right? Absolutely. All these Michaels, we wouldn't even need to have church. They would all get this. This would be wonderful. Everywhere I went would be so clean. Air Canada would run on time. All because Michaels are running the planet. God is not that dull and boring. So when you operate in hatred because you're angry that God didn't make everything like you or think like you, and God says, <laughs> no, that's foolish because your ways aren't my ways and my ways aren't your ways. As a matter of fact, your ways are lower than mine. So you better step it up. And you better see the beauty. You better see the beauty. Their nastiness is teaching you patience. Their cleanliness is teaching you not to be nasty. The beautiful array of color that God has placed on the skins of people around this world is God showing you how infinitely creative he is. The way that people think. We have people who are analysts. Thank God for you. You're able to figure problems out. We have the creative people. Thank God. They're able to sing and paint and create and innovate things. We have the people who are orderly and administrative. Thank God they keep things running. And then you have those people who are kind of out there in the middle of nowhere. Thank God they give us a reason for doing what we do. <laughs> they give a reason for everybody else. God is amazing. This comes from you. Not the devil. That comes from you. He just likes to plant his little funky seeds. Number six, anger. Reason our discussion for hot topics fail is because of anger. Like hatred, this hypercharged emotion is rooted in an unresolved issue. Perhaps you were rejected or hurt or offended, and now bitterness, unforgiveness, and or revenge has filled your heart. It is Satan's playground because he knows it all too well. And it's deadly. This is deadly. When hatred can turn to anger or when shame turns to anger or fear turns to anger, it can be deadly. What we see in these mass shootings, they're angry. They're angry. 
And it's rooted in bitterness and unforgiveness and revenge. Satan is angry at you in God's creation because he too was created by God and God created him for a purpose and he rose up and thought, I'll be better than God. The sun doesn't come up till I sing. Boy, is he wrong. That sun's still been coming up for years. Some of us feel the same way. And he got angry, so now he wants to come after you because he no longer can have fellowship with God. But you can, and it makes him angry. He's bitter. He's unforgiven, full of revenge and hate. And now the Bible says he looks to kill, steal, and destroy. So when you're operating in anger, you're operating in Satan's vices. Matthew 5, 21 through 22. Matthew 5, 21 to 22. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples as he's teaching. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fire's of hell. Anger. That's the passion Jesus hates it with. You have no reason to be angry as a Christian. We live in the love and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He gets rid of all bitterness. He gets rid of that desire for revenge. He gets rid of those things. When you let him transform you, he begins to permeate those things. There is no political platform. There is no uh, issue. There is nothing that I should be, that I should allow the hypercharged emotion of anger to seep into my mind and my heart and my speech. Nothing should cause me to be provoked to anger. Because I'm moving into a deadly realm. How many of you out of anger tweet something or post it on social media only to get an argument started? That's what anger does. Leads to arguments and dissension. Leads to division. Churches split over that. Because anger seeps into them. And they're mad. And if you were to go back to the, to the trivial point of why they even got angry, it's exactly that. Trivial. Foolishness. Anger got the best of them and it turns deadly. And when we let anger, when we're operating in anger, no, we can't have a discussion on a hot topic because we're not going to respond in the way that we should. Number seven, pride. Another reason discussions fail when we're talking about hot topics, is pride. This comes from you thinking you are better or no better than the other person. And I want you to hear me. The lack of humility will cause blindness to the humanity in front of you. The lack of humility will cause blindness to the humanity in front of you. When you stand in pride and you think you know better and you think you're all that in a bag of chips... I love me some chips. But when you think that you know better, you're operating better, then you forget 
the humanity, whether it's a person or a group of people, you forget the humanity standing in front of you. You forget that they too are made in the image of God. They too were created by the same creator that created you. And your pride takes over. And it doesn't take long for pride to move into hatred and anger and some of these other things. I want us to turn to James 4, 6 through 7. James 4, 6 through 7. And he gives grace graciously, generously, excuse me. James is speaking to his audience and he's talking about the Lord. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, folks. When you live in pride. Guess who comes knocking at the door? Yes. And when you live in pride and you let that overtake you, you're just like. Hey, Satan, come on. How's it going, man? Come on in. Come on, come on, come on. Come on in. Sit down right here in my heart. James tells his audience, as he says, God, you can read throughout all the Proverbs, God hates pride. Because that's what Satan got lifted up in. He goes, you know, I can be as God. Pride lifts you up to a level. When you think you know better than other people, you're, you're basically saying you are God. I know better than you. I'm like God. <laughs> Bow before me. Bow before my wisdom. Bow before my knowledge. Who are you? And then the other person gets proud and they're going to knock you off your pedestal. And so what happens? You become at an impasse. Now you're both operating in pride, trying to knock each other down, trying to bring them down, trying to out-argue them, out-talk them. The hot topic just went sour. It's called hot topics for a reason. People get hot-headed. We need to try and get rid of this word and just call it topics as Christians. Pride will cause you to be lifted up. The last two, number eight, group think. Group think, mob mentality. The reason that discussions fail when we want to talk about these charged topics is we end up with a group think or a mob mentality. Ever been somewhere and you never thought you would have gone that far, but the group's going there. Oh, come on, we can all do it. Stop being such an old fuddy-duddy. Stop being, you always just so fit. You never want to do something. Oh, okay, fine. Only for you end up in jail, hurt, some tragedy happened, and you're thinking, if only I would have been the voice of reason. This rises up because of our desire to be accepted and not rejected. We are willing to go with the group rather than stand for truth, even if it means we are the sole person standing. It might be it might lead to being labeled an out it might lead to being labeled or cast out of the group you are desperately trying to join. I don't want to stand alone. Why do I have to be the one to always stand out? Why do I have to be the one always I just want to be accepted. Why can't I just move in this realm? 
We're willing to compromise because of groupthink and mob mentality. Yes, there are times that you compromise in a marriage. She wants blue sheets, you want red sheets, so you get purple sheets. Right? Compromise isn't a bad word, but if we compromise for the sake of groupthink or mob mentality, if we compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we compromise the truth just to go with the group, that's why many of us dive into the secular viewpoint. That groupthink then it's wrong. 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Stay away from people like that. You want to be used by God? Sometimes you got to walk alone. The disciples were quick in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane to run the other way. When they saw the mob coming, and they were like, oh, Jesus, who? That, that Jesus? No, I was, I was here, and I was picking some grapes. And, you know, him and them other guys was, yeah, what's going on? What's this guy doing? Oh, my, I don't know about that. Peter stood at a distance and rolled up into the courtyard. And he's just, mm, 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 mm. you know him. I, who, who do I know who? Jesus? Je, is that how you say his name? G, Jesus? No, I don't know him. Never heard of him. Surely you know him. You have a Galilean accent. Oh, oh, so because I'm Galilean, all of a sudden I know Jesus now, huh? I, is that what everybody thinks around here? You people are something else. I didn't say I know Jesus. Yeah, I think we saw you in the garden with him. Blankety, blank, blank, blank. I said I don't know the man. What's wrong with you people? Did I not blankety, blank, tell you I don't know him? See what group think and mob mentality will do to you? Do you see what it will do to you? You will reject the truth and you will not be able to talk about this because you're too busy trying to be accepted by the group. Yeah, it's going to be lonely. You may have to stand up. You may get called some names. You may get cursed out. You may get punched in the face. But if you're standing, make sure you're standing for Jesus, not the topic. I hate to read the news media and Christians jump on board. Oh, he was protesting in front of this building or that building. And you saw them people come after him and knock him out. Oh, we need to pray for him. Uh, maybe he shouldn't have been standing there. I'm not wasting my time praying for him. He wasn't standing for Jesus. He was standing for himself. He was making a spectacle. 
When Jesus was accused and they were calling him everything, he didn't say anything. He stood there. They beat him up, ripped his beard out, put thorns on his head. Mind you, the Bible said he could have called down a legion of angels. And you and I both know if we were in Jesus' shoes, the first time somebody hit me, I'd be like, angels? <laughs> you and I both know. 10,000, I would have called them all. Just wipe, wipe them all out. You're not going to pluck my beard. You know what oil I've been putting into that to groom that? You're not going to cut my clothes off. Oh, no, you're not. He didn't do anything because he knew what he was standing for. Folks, we don't have to be in the street to protest, and I'm not coming against protesting, but sometimes I wonder. Is that biblical? I'm just asking the question. The way we handle things. Are we just getting emotionally charged on the topic? Are we out there representing Jesus? The last one, reasons for failure. And the reason I put this one last is it's very important because this is going to hit home. It did for me. Influence. The reason we fail as Christians at times to talk about and discuss these topics, our sphere of influence is off. This can come from a person you admire, such as a parent or a friend or a mentor or a pastor or an athlete, a celebrity or a politician, a teacher or a boss. This can come from your source of information, which could be social media or cable news or the internet or blogs or podcasts or sermons or books and magazines. This could come from your source of entertainment, music, movies, TV shows, documentary, plays, YouTube. And it can be dangerous if the idea or concept disagrees with biblical principle. Your eyes and your ears are the gates to your soul. What you place before them, what you listen to and what you watch, will influence your mind, and your heart. And if you think it doesn't, you are living one of the biggest lies ever perpetrated to yourself. If you get your news source from only one news source, you will start parroting that news source. I don't care who you are. If you only watch and listen to people who you agree with, you will start parroting them. And when they get charged on something, you'll get charged on it. When they're ready to go to war over it, you'll be ready to go to war over it. Why? Because they will influence you. Try watching a news you don't agree with. If you throw your remote at the TV or your mouse at the computer screen, you're too emotionally charged on the topic. Better yet, maybe turn it off. Maybe turn it off. The only thing that I agree with on this planet, and you should 100%, is the Word of God. No fault in that. No wrong in that. No guile, no foul motive in that. Everybody else, better give them a 50-50 chance. Granted, I'll trust my leaders in the church a little more. 
but they're infallible. They watch news like you do. They read stories like you do. Maybe they read the same sources that you do. They start using it for illustrations. Nothing wrong with that. But I've seen people speak from a news source. And you know just, hmm, that's not 100% the facts as I read it. Because they're only telling one half. Or they're telling it, they're slanted. News today isn't news. It's opinionated news. They're going to share it in their way. And these blogs and documentaries and people on YouTube, they're going to share it their way. You could literally watch a news source or a, or a video or a documentary, and the next thing you know, you're against eating meat and meat products. You're trying to be vegan. I'm speaking from experience. I tried it for three weeks. Watched one documentary on Netflix, the next thing you know, I'm going to be vegan. That lasted three weeks. Then I went to a Ukrainian wedding. That didn't last very long. Do you see what I'm saying? Or you start watching the, the news on a particular candidate and you really like that candidate. And the next thing you know, you're bashing the other candidate and you're trashing them and, oh, they're terrible. And they're from the devil. That's the devil. We got to pray against them. Really? This human being that God created is from the devil? Because you don't like their stance on certain topics? How about you just disagree with them? We want to all of a sudden bring God into it. I had people tell me a few, quite a few years ago, that this particular politician, they're straight from the devil. And if they get into office, it'll be the last president we ever had. Well, we're on two presidents since then. Shows how much they know. People flip-flop on politics all the time. This candidate does something. Oh, that's terrible. That's terrible. Their candidate does it. Well, he had a good reason. The same issue. But because your candidate did it, and you're praying for that candidate, and you're trusting for that candidate, it's okay. Do you see how wishy-washy the world is? How people will be influenced. I'm reading in Jeremiah, my regular devotions, and God rebuked Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah was getting a little frustrated and angry. And God said, hold on a minute. Don't let them influence you, Jeremiah. You influence them. There's a difference. If I'm going to talk, talk about one of these topics and somebody's influencing me and all of a sudden I can't have a civil conversation on a topic because I'm charged. And many times you'll know where they're parroting it from. They will, they start quoting a statistic. Da, 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 da. Where'd you get that? You don't even look like the person who would read those type of books. Where are you getting this from? They're getting it from somewhere. How many times we take a simple topic and no matter what side of the table, including Christians, we take it from a, that's a little molehill. By the time we're done with it, it's Mount Everest. In reality, just down here, just a topic. There's basic, plain, simple things to talk about. And we take it to the next level. And then what happens is, if the other side actually even makes a decent point, you just discard it. Oh, no, 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 it can't be that. You aren't even to have a civil discourse and, and hear them out. 
I should have added climate change to that. People are so entrenched. They forget that the Bible says that the earth groans because of men. Groans at our sin. Groans at that. God says in the end, he's going to destroy this earth. So it's getting more and more wicked. I don't care what side of the topic you're on. Does that even matter for eternity? Does it? Do you think I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to say, now before I bring you in, were you for or against climate change? Just want to know where you stand on that. Think that was from me or no? No. When, he gets to he- when we get to heaven and we stand before the Almighty, he's not going to talk about any of those topics. Not one of them. He's going to look at you and say, either well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been good with the small. Now come and enter into the glory of the Lord. Or depart from me because you and I had no relationship and we don't know each other. He's going to look. Was your heart, your actions, your mind, your influence focused on Jesus? Were you bapping people, bringing another person? Or were you too busy fighting over topics? Too busy not looking at the humanity in front of you. Romans 12, 2. I apologize, we're a little late on time, but I have just a few more things to go over. I hope you don't mind. Romans 12, 2 says, And we know that God... I'm sorry, 12, 2. I'm reading the wrong one. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now quickly... I want to take some time. Talked about the reasons for failure, but good Lord, we don't want to stay there. Let's talk about the ways to success. How do we successfully have these discussions? Number one, love. If you are not approaching every discussion of a hot topic or any topic with biblical love, stop. Just stop. If you are not approaching it with God's love, stop. Do not engage. Do not talk about it. Don't even move on the discussion. You need to wait until you are dripping with love or you will fail miserably. Romans 12, 9 through 10. Let's move a little further down. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Love has to be the basis. You could read the whole chapter in Corinthians on love. It's patient, love is kind, love is hopeful. Love. You cannot have a successful talk unless you start with love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't do it because he had to. He didn't do it for any other reason other than love. Number two, prayer. 
You can only successfully talk about these if you are a prayer person, a person of prayer, a prayer warrior. Where else do we get the mind of God? Where else do we really fight the battle, which is spiritual anyway? Not with persons or with groups. We do it in prayer. We have to let our prayers be direct. Ephesians 6, 12. The whole topic of this is 6.13, and then tomorrow morning, if you haven't heard from me enough all day, I'm going to be preaching on the armor of God. But 6.12 says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. We are not fighting people. We're not fighting God's creation. We're fighting against the enemy of their soul. And since their spirit is not alive, they don't understand that they're on the wrong side. So why are we fighting them? Love. Your favorite politician doesn't win, pray for the one that does. I mean genuinely pray. Don't pray them out of office. Pray. God, save their soul. God, call them into a place to walk with you. Pray for your favorite entertainer that you probably shouldn't be listening to and watching anyway. Pray for them. You don't know what God can do in a life. Look, he stopped Paul on the way to Damascus to kill Christians. You don't think he can do that today? Like God is just like, oh my God, that was a one-trick pony there. I'm telling you, it took a lot out of me to get Paul. I don't know if I can do that anymore. Of course he can. Of course he can. Pray. That's where we get the mind of God, and that's where we fight our battle. We don't fight the other person. We fight in the prayer closet. Number three, study. Study. You cannot discuss any topic unless you are fully armed with a proper understanding of God's principles from his word. The Bible is your source even when people choose not to believe it. We don't have to defend it. I am not called to defend the Bible. That's not, I know we have apologetics and I appreciate people who do. And they have, if you notice a Ravi Zacharias or some of these people, notice when they're doing apologetics, it's a civil discourse. They don't go out and they're like, no, I'm doing what the Bible says. No, they have a civil discourse because if people are open to it, yes, I'm going to sit down and defend certain principles of the Bible as long as it's a civil discourse. But I don't have to go out and defend it constantly against these topics. All I have to do is make sure that I'm studied. Make sure that I'm well read. The Bible is your source. We don't have to defend it. We stand on it. But yield the sword wisely with the utmost compassion and love. You are speaking to someone God created in his image. And he's the one who designed the sword. Don't use his sword to cut his people. He created them. So we use the sword wisely. I don't want to stab them in the heart. I just want to cut off some of the bad things that are on their life. That's why we use the sword wisely with compassion and love. Let me tell you what the Bible says. You're going to hell. What? Let me tell you what the Bible says. God loves you. And no matter what you're struggling with, God can help you through it. See the difference? Yeah, the Bible says those that don't trust him or believe in him are going to hell. But I'm not going to start off with that going to chisel a little bit. So we have to use it wisely. 2 Timothy 2, 15 through 19. 2 Timothy 2, 15 through 19. 
Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid foolish talk that leads to more godless behavior. Avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer. As in the case of these two folks, they have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. You can turn people away from God if you don't use this word right. You can use it to beat them over the head rather than help them in this life. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Study to show yourself approves what the King James says of the scripture. Paul reminded Timothy, study Timothy. You want to reach these people who are infiltrating the church and doing it wrong? Study. Because then you will know the word and they can't come against the authority of the word. Number four, listen. Listen. This is an active word. Listen. Do not passively listen, waiting for your turn to form, waiting for your turn to speak or forming your own argument and defense. Remember the old saying, God gave you two ears and one mouth so you could listen twice as much as you can speak. Though it's not in the Bible, it is true. We cannot begin to have calm, reasonable discussion if we don't actively listen to what people say. If done correctly with the help of the Holy Spirit's discernment, you will really hear what they are saying and it will allow you to speak with authority when the proper time comes. If you listen and not just see the outward issue or the topic that they're on, you listen to them, find out what's going on. Find out why they believe this way. What is happening in their life. When you begin to speak into them, they will have already put a level of trust into you because you heard them. And when you start speaking the word and compassion and love and truth, they'll be more apt to do and follow what you say. I know you've known that in your life. When you pour your heart out to somebody and they listen, all of a sudden you're like, now tell me something. And sometimes you may have to listen and not respond in the moment. Just listen and say, you know what? Let me think about that. You've given me a lot to think about. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And maybe we can get back together. Yeah, sure, I'd like to. You know how that door opens? Wow, this person listened to me. I know they don't even agree with what I believe because they're a Christian. I know that. But they listened to me. It opens the door. That's how Christians are to be. James 1, 19 through 20. James 1, 19 through 20 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. When you don't listen, you will begin to speak and move right into what we discussed, hatred and anger. Listen. Number five, identify. identify. Paul says to be all things to all people. We talked about this as understanding. Try to understand why they are standing up for something that is contrary to God's design and desire. 
sympathy, not fake, but genuine sympathy will actually open doors for a conversation. And I'm not saying sympathy like, oh, yeah, you are so wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to you. And then I'll read you your mail in just a moment. No, understand, identify with them. Why are you struggling with, why are you so passionate about this? A lot of times we get fired up and we're passionate about something simply because of groupthink or simply because we just made it our stumping stool. We're not really fired up about it. Why in the world am I fired up about weed? I've never even tried it. Do you know what I mean? We get fired up about stuff. Like, I don't even know the effects. I mean, I have friends who have, but it's like, why am I getting, why would I get so fired up about it? Don't you smoke that weed? Oh God, stop. What, what am I getting so fired up for? Do you understand what I'm saying? We, we get fired up over things. Where it's like, what are you doing? Take it down a notch. Find out where they're really coming from. Identify with them. 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Even though I am free, even though I am a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. In other words, a servant to all people. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I'm not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Now, he's not saying he goes to the bars and gets drunk. He's not saying, well, you're a prostitute. Let me go prostitute too. He's not saying you indulge in their sinful behavior. What he's saying is you learn to identify with them. You learn to identify with their weakness. Oh, I'm weak in this area. You know, I, I too have some weaknesses. You do? What are you weak over? Well, I, you know, I, I kind of struggled with this. This is similar in that area. I, I never would have known that. Wow, I, I never even saw that. I never thought that. You identify with them. You find that common ground. I'm going to go through just four more things. Number six, discernment. Discernment. Common sense is the practical knowledge that God gives to his creation and is shaped by life. Discernment is the spiritual knowledge that comes only from training by the ultimate teacher, the Holy Spirit. There is no substitute and there are no shortcuts for discernment. Hebrews 5.14 Hebrews 5.14 says solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Folks, if you do not have Holy Spirit discernment, you are walking in some dangerous water. I'm just going to be honest with you. My mother used to tell me that as a kid. Son, pray for discernment. I'm like, I can't even spell the word. I don't know what that means. But let me tell you something. When I became a Christian, and I began walking in the Spirit. Oh, I pray for discernment now. 
You can have common sense. Now, some of you may lack it. Just pray for it. But you can have common sense that gets you through. Don't stick a fork in the socket. Don't, you know, put your hand on a hot burner. There's some common sense things. Look before you cross the street. But then there's a spiritual knowledge, spiritual common sense, if you want to call that discernment, that the Holy Spirit gives you. When you see somebody emotionally charged, and I'm a big, big, I've had to learn this a hard way, and you're ready to, with your words, just douse more gasoline on the fire, and the Holy Spirit says, don't you do it. This is not the moment or the time. Back off. Discernment, when someone begins to tell you something, they come up and they start telling you, and you just say, hmm, something's not right here. The Holy Spirit says, that's not what they're dealing with. Out of discernment comes a word of knowledge. Out of discernment comes an understanding where God begins to show you some things in the spirit realm. Remember when it came to uh, Elisha and he had his, prophet, he had his um, uh, servant. And they were standing there and the servant's like, Oh my God, look at all these people standing on here. Oh, we're going to die. It's just two of us. I don't even know how to fight. I'm terrible. I can't even get away. And the prophet's just sitting there. He said, what are we going to do? Why are you just sitting there? And he goes, oh, Lord. Open his eyes. Goodness sakes, he's going on and on. Open his eyes. The Lord opened his eyes and he saw all of heaven's armies standing behind them. And he's like, oh, snap. Yeah, you know, I'm going to have some tea and sit down. This is going to be good. (laughs) Why the prophet had discernment. The prophet knew when God says, don't worry about that. I've got you. I fight your battles. I'll take care of you. But the servant was only in common sense. Common sense says, you better run and hide because they're about to whoop you up. The servant says, I won't fear that. I won't fear these topics. I won't, I won't walk away in that. I have discernment and I can understand somebody's going through something. The reason they're heated on this topic is they're dealing with something. Shame or fear, hatred, anger. They're dealing with something. Holy Spirit pinpoint it. Talk to me. What is going on? David Wilkerson uh, told Pastor Carter a story, and Pastor Carter shared it with me one time. They had someone come into the ministry, very well-known name, came in one time, and Brother Dave asked uh, Pastor Carter to, to come in and sit with him, and so the minister comes in, and he sits down, and he's talking, and Pastor Carter had just recently, if I remember the story correctly, uh, had just kind of recently come on staff. And so he's sitting there and he's thinking, you know, Brother Dave's here. This well-known minister is here who had asked for a meeting. And the minister starts talking and about 10 minutes in. Now, he, he had about a 30, 45-hour-long meeting scheduled. But Brother Dave was known he didn't like long meetings. <laughs> that was his general personality. And about 10 minutes in, Brother Dave said, hold on just a moment. How long have you been dealing with pornography? And Pastor Carter said, you know, he was like, Man didn't even mention pornography. Like, whoa, where'd that come from? That well-known minister began to weep. How did you know? I've been dealing with it for years. Brother Dave said, you get that right, and all the problems in your ministry you've been discussing, those will all go away. Let's pray. He prayed and ushered the man out the door. And afterwards, Pastor Carter said, how in the world... That man never even mentioned that. He was talking about problems in the ministry and issues, something practical that you would just say, well, are you you doing this? Are you engaging your volunteers? Are you doing this? How in the world did you know? And 
He says, before every meeting, I let them open up and I begin praying, God, give me discernment. Help me to see beyond what they're saying. And the moment God speaks to me, he said, at that point, I don't need to hear anything else. I just speak as the Lord speaks. Pastor Carter said it was one of the greatest lessons he learned, and he does the same thing. You know what? I said, thank you for telling me. So now when I, people come into my office and they sit down, first thing, oh, Holy Spirit, give me discernment. First of all, I don't have all day to sit here with this person. Second of all, I just want to get to the root of it. You got to have discernment for that because common sense will have you running around doing all kinds of stuff. Number seven, self-control. Self-control. The only way to deal with emotions, which runs rampant when these topics are discussed, is self-control. It's the only way to deal with your emotions. And they will run rampant when you're talking about these topics. Emotions run rampant. Self-control. It must be laser accurate, and only the Holy Spirit can perfect it in you. It's had to say it's only honed through trial and, experience, trial and error. It's the only way self-control works. The Holy Spirit has to do it through trial and error. Proverbs 29, 11. Proverbs 29, 11 says, Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Self-control. If you are not walking in self-control, then you cannot talk about these topics. Because self-control will cause you to restrain yourself from allowing your emotions to get charged. Because many times the other person may be coming at you charged in their emotions. You need self-control so that yours equally don't get charged. You don't respond in kind. Self-control. Patience. Patience. Anxiety, stress, frustration, and annoyance will shorten your life and has been known to lead to mental breakdowns and cause medical conditions to your physical body. True godly peace flows with patience. If you lack it, then you are probably unsettled spiritually. Patience. If you lack that, then you are unsettled spiritually because peace flows out of patience. And you cannot have these topics, discussions on these topics, if you are not operating in patience. Because you may need to walk with these people for a while. You may need to take time to understand them. You may need to take time to pray and to study it through. Somebody comes to you at something, you say, you know what? I don't know if I'm really in the frame of mind to talk about that. I'll get back to you in due time. Because I'm going to go to the source first. Patience. Psalms 37, 7. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Patience. And last but not least, the success to these topics. Silence. Now you're thinking, what? One of the greatest weapons we have is closing our mouth. At a certain point, we have to judge the situation and determine if it's better to simply smile and walk away. We are not here to win arguments or prove points. We are here with a mission to draw people to Jesus. 
And if that's what it takes to be silent, then we have to be willing to do that. Remember our ultimate example was Jesus. I talked about that earlier. When he was faced with all kinds of opposition, he sat quietly and the only questions he answered were ones of truth. Ones of truth. Proverbs 17, 27 to 28. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. When they're with their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Sometimes that's the only way for success when it comes to these topics, silence. You just remain quiet and walk away. I'm going to close on this. I want you to remember this one guiding principle as we talk about these, have these discussions and talk about hot topics. All humans are created in the image of their creator, God who loves them and desires a relationship. Just like Jesus told the religious leaders who came against him, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give to God what belongs to God. Our overriding emphasis has to be the person or the group standing in front of you. And your sole purpose in all of this, every single thing when you want to discuss these hot topics, spelled out. This is the reason. This is the whole point of even having the discussion. I've got to get him to Jesus. If I can just get him to Jesus, everything we do and every discussion should take into account the human beings that we face. We need to see them as God sees them. We need to see them as God sees them. We need to hear them as God hears them. We need to speak to them. As God speaks to them, we need to touch them as God touches them. We need to even smell them as God smells them. You're thinking, what is that? God smells the fragrance of his creation and he knows when it needs anointment. He knows when it needs freshening of the Holy Spirit. And if they become a stench in your nostril, you will not be able to serve them as God intended for you to. Let's stand. My apologies for going over a little bit. We're going to pray. And after I'm done praying, if I want to offer, and I'm sure Pastor Mona and Pastor Glenn don't mind, myself included, I'm going to pray If you're struggling with one of those, any of those topics, one of your family members is struggling, maybe you just need a little bit of guidance. As we're fellowshipping, if you have to go, that's okay too. I know it's late on a Saturday and many of you will be back tomorrow. If you want to talk to somebody, we'll take a few minutes. And Lord willing, I'm not going to be here till midnight, but, (laughs) but we'll talk about it. Pastor Glenn, Pastor Mona, myself, will be here. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. Because I don't want you to walk in shame or fear, hatred or anger. I want you to have a success in being able to discuss these. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can talk about anything. And I thank you for the, the privilege that we've had to Extended in this platform, O oh God, to talk about it in this church. 
There are churches around this country and around the world who wouldn't dare even utter some of these topics that we wrote on this board and talked about here because they would deem it inappropriate or not something befitting of a Christian to talk about. But you know what, God? If the world's dealing with it, then we can talk about it because we need to draw them to the only thing that matters, and that's Jesus Christ. We need to bring them into an understanding of your truth. We need to bring them to a place where they will want a relationship with you, Jesus, and they'll want to lay down these things that so easily beset them. God, I'm asking that any of us that have or maybe are dealing with these, God, that if we've dealt with them, we won't walk in shame if we brought them. Passion to tell them this choice. And God, we'd have the the privilege, the humble privilege to see them make that choice for you. God, I thank you for the time you've given us together together today. I thank you for people sacrificing their Saturday to come out and to hear your heart. God, I pray that you would bless them. Take care of whatever they gave up to be here, oh God. Their time away from family. Their time, oh God, away from work. Their time away from even rest. Today might have been the only day of rest that they had. And they gave it up to be here in your house. Honor that, oh God, by speaking to them. Showing them who you are and how faithful you are. God, we bless your name today. And we ask, oh Holy Spirit, that you would continue to change us into the men and women that you want us to be. We love you, Jesus, and we want to be bold about proclaiming your truth. Your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Don't eat my blueberry pie.